Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Welcome to our music marketing series. This is week one, featuring one of my favorite episodes this far with my good friend, VP of Bethel Music, Chris Estes. Now, you may ask why the VP of Bethel Music is he in the music marketing series? Well, we're going to start off with marketing in an area that a lot of you are very familiar with, or maybe a lot of you are wanting to know more about, and that is marketing songs and music to the church, marketing worship music. This is something that Chris has a black belt in. This guy's a wealth of knowledge for anybody wanting to learn more about what it takes to market songs to the church. And I'm not just talking about their local church. They've had major worldwide hits. Number ones, songs on the top of the radio charts, and songs sung on the CCLI chart by churches worldwide. Now, for a lot of you listeners out there, maybe you think that doesn't apply, but there's so many principles. Even if you're not a worship writer, even if you're not a Christian music writer, there's so much to learn from every single one of these episodes. That's what I love about this show is the conversations are so applicable and the knowledge and the wisdom from these guests is great. And you can apply it to whatever area of music that you're working in. So uh, stick around. We've got an exciting four-part music marketing series starting with this one right here with Chris Eftes. And I got to interview him live in the Bethel Music Studios. We're just going to jump right into it without any further ado. So I'm here at Bethel Music Studios with my friend Chris Estes. And before I butcher your title, <laughs> you should probably just say it because yes. you're a man who wears very many hats. <laughs> it's a lot of hats, which is why I have no hair left. So the official title is Vice President of Production and Business Development or BizDev, which covers for in our world on the production side covers albums, publishing as part of the the creative part of that production from song conception to completion. And then on the Bethel TV and the media side, it incorporates our live stream and our premium content that we call premium, like feature film type stuff. So that's all part of that production world. Then on my free time, I uh, also work with our touring and events teams on a high strategy level, just on our worldwide tours and stuff. So Yeah, which yeah. has been a huge thing in the past few years, right? I mean, you guys have really ramped that up. Yeah, it's been really phenomenal. Like for us, we feel called to the nations. And part of our mandate from Pastor Bill is to export what we're doing here to, to the nations. So it's always been a part of, of our culture and our teachers and speakers have done it for decades. And we've been really fortunate as we started to, gosh, in the last six years, seven years, going from itinerant ministry trips to more organized touring to global touring and being able to go to regions like South Africa, we just recently came back from Europe and we're part of Big Church Day Out and just all of our international communities and friends were able to go and pour into with worship. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get to where you're at today? Because I know you were at Integrity before. Mm -hmm. What's your story into the industry? <laughs> and so it's why an interesting are you, why story. Why are you the guy to be the <laughs> VP of BizDev? Yeah, I mean, it's a journey. It's honestly, if I look back on it, it's God's hand and his 
divine plan in my life, honestly. Like I, you know, as a young kid, loved music and parents divorced when I was 10. So really kind of poured into music. That was my kind of refuge to go towards. And back then I'm a little bit older. So this was kind of like the heyday of the eighties and the nineties. So a little mix of all kinds of music. I grew up in New Orleans, so I had kind of a jazz culture background and loved that style of music. But, you know, around 12, learned the bar chords and the power chords and you know, learned all the Metallica songs and yeah. <laughs> progressed into a lot of different styles. One thing I didn't grow up in was the church. So didn't have any kind of, you know, perspective in a Christian music at all. And I went through college and background in college was marketing and an English minor played in bands in college and did the Southeast college circuit and out of college did this kind of mid nineties. So internet was just starting to take off. Email capture was starting to become a thing and started doing kind of management and road management, grassroots stuff and working with bands that were doing typical kind of college cover bands, doing all the jam band songs and all that stuff. And did that for a while, for a couple of years and really kind of enjoyed, you know, had a real passion to be around music and be involved in it. So that was kind of my first step into working in music as kind of a management or structure around it. And then I got completely out of it when the Lord kind of drew me into a relationship with him and revealed who he was and didn't want to do the bar scene or the college party scene with bands anymore. So I went kind of right turn towards print technology, which is not anywhere near the same realm of print of technology, print technology, uh, which meaning like printers, printers that were my uncle is a uh, press he has a print shop. So he taught me printing press stuff. And in college, I always did that kind of in between semesters. And this was kind of the God's hand in the story part. So, you know, passion for music, coming out of it, had no idea what Christian music was. And my background, you know, being in marketing, got a job at a print technology company in Mobile, Alabama, which is where Integrity Music is. And for seven years, we worked there and worked my way up into worldwide marketing and ran a team of 25. And we distributed into like 118 countries. And while I was there, I would travel a lot doing that, probably traveled about 50% of the time. And I would be in towns where there was these movements of God. So new Christian, playing in church for the first time. And I would call my pastor, hey, I'm in Chicago. What church should I go to? And I'd end up in these places where he'd like, hey, go to Willow Creek. And I went to Saddleback. And God kind of brought me for the seven-year journey around what the church movement was like around the world. Australia went there to Hillsong back when Darlene was leading back in the heyday. And that all led to Integrity Music. So flash forward seven years later, I was running an ad in the paper and there was a this was 2005, there was an ad for a digital marketing director. And I was like, Ad Integrity Music, which I thought at the time was kind of like the Donut Man, Mrs. Patty Cake, and you know <laughs> Don Moen. So I was going, wow, Integrity Music. I don't know, like I didn't even know what Christian music industry looked like. And what, what year was this? This was in 2005. Okay. So my uncle and my aunt who had a mailing house, they actually did all of Integrity Music's mailings. So I was familiar with some of the mailing stuff in the Hosanna Club. And I looked at the ad with my wife and I was like, well, I'd be kind of interesting to get back into music. And my worship pastor at the church I was at, Three Circle Church, was Lee Black. And Lee Black is a songwriter and was a song developer at Integrity Music. So I had no ambition to, to get my resume together and get back into another career path. But he kept pushing me and saying, man, you should apply for this job. So I did. And that was in 2006, I started at Integrity Music. And as I started there, it was, <laughs> I was a digital marketing guy who was looking after iTunes, which at the time was about 10% of their market for CD sales was predominantly still physical. 
And they didn't really know what to do with this digital marketing place, but they knew they needed somebody to kind of manage that. So early on, like this is back when the iPod was still a silver brick, <laughs> weighed about a pound. And I started there. And then a year later, the marketing director for Hillsong left and I had a marketing background. So they asked me to do both digital marketing and marketing for Hillsong at the time. Hillsong United had just released United We Stand and Integrity Music was still focused more on the Hillsong worship side of things with Ruben. And they were the ones who first published or produced and captured live Shout to the Lord from Darlene. So still a lot of system around the Hillsong worship movement. And they asked me if I would look after Hillsong United, which was the kind of the youth thing and they didn't quite understand. So I flew to Australia with Don Moen. <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh, he was a president and was a super sweet guy. And from there, just kind of everything rocket from working with Hillsong United, took on Hillsong London, and then got to work in the touring and events and publishing side of that with them. So that, that kind of started for me another seven-year journey of music experience with iTunes, with Sony Music as our distributor partner, and with some pretty big movements at the time. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there maybe don't realize all that goes into a a church release. I think people think, well, you have a church, you do some songs at church, but really, I mean, you're talking about stuff that essentially is, you know, record label operations. Mm -hmm. You're publishing, you're touring, you're marketing, your distribution, all of that. So what are some of the things that you've learned over the years and, and that you learned at your time in integrity about how to market church songs? Because I'm sure there's been a lot of trial and error, I would imagine, mm -hmm. over the years. <laughs> there has, yeah. You know, I think the core of it is really, it starts with a great song. I mean, as you know, it starts with a song that is authentic and real and comes from a place of personal journey or experience with God, especially in the church space, which to me makes it even more exciting because you're developing songs that, that are, you know, God-inspired, but also can lead people into, you know, proclaiming truth. You can see life change come through it and you can actually feel the room shift sometimes when there's just that song, you know, that you you sing on a Sunday that people need to hear and they need to sing out. So when it comes to the business side of it, it's really, I think it starts there. It starts with like, okay, is this song for the church or is it for the local expression of the church or is it for the global church? And And you start looking at you know, how approachable is it? You'll hear the term, you know, corporate worship or congregational worship, which to me just means it's singable. I mean, it's like, it's something that is rememberable and it's something that people on, you know, any given Sunday would sing out like, you know, good, good father is a real simple truth, but it's something that in a generation of fatherlessness, <laughs> it yeah. needs to be sung, you know? So I think it starts there because you can try to craft something that's real clever and you can try to, you know, uh, orchestrate something that is not real or authentic and people I f will feel that, you know. And so once you have a great song, then you start putting structure and process and, and platforms around it. And how do you take that to the broader church? So for me, what I've learned is it starts with worship leaders. You know, where do worship leaders discover new songs? How do they discover new songs? How do they get resourced for those songs? And what are they looking for? And, you know, what are some themes and some songs that are resonating with the church? So can you talk about, back up a minute, how do you know when a song is for the church? How do you know when a song is just for the local church? And then how do you know when a song feels like it's, okay, it's time to take this thing 
you know, to a mass scale. Yeah. I mean, I think you feel it for us here at Bethel, this starts in church. So honestly, like you see how it does on any given Sunday. So it's like, and we've had songs that we've journeyed on for years that have been like, okay, it's not quite there. And, you know, for us in our world, it can a lot of times start in a spontaneous moment. So you have a spontaneous, you know, chorus or a bridge part that you're like, wow, that felt like I felt something. And it's like, let's try to work on that a little bit. And you may have that spontaneous moment again, or you may have that turn into a song. And then it's really taking it to the local body and saying, okay, is this song connecting? And, and then from there going, okay, it is. And for us, it would make an album or it'd go, you know, we can see how it trends and how it does on our live stream on Bethel TV. But if you're a local church, like if you're, you know, some church in, you know, name any city in America, I think it starts with the local body first and is it ministering there? And and then really when you start to expand from that, it's looking at are there other churches that would pick it up? Because at the end of the day, like if it's for the global church and you will see, you know, friends for us, it happens a lot. Like we may try a new song for the first time. It's not been published. It's not been registered and we'll have friends that are texting, you know, worship leaders and going, hey, what's that song? Can I get the charts? Like, I wanted to play that song. We need to do that. And, this and how are they here? Are they hearing it just on Bethel TV? Yeah, on Bethel TV. So I think, you know, some of that you start to measure like how it's being exported. So like for other, you know, churches or label environments, they'll look at things like social feeds, like as it is it becoming more and more visible on YouTube or if it's been released to Spotify, is it being streamed? You know, is it for the broader church? And a lot of times, I mean, you guys know this, if you're worship leaders, like you're dealing with four songs a week that you're rotating in. So the rotation of songs in the mass church is a lot slower than saying like a radio, you know, where radio would pick it up and it would start spinning it. So it can be a process. I mean, it could be six, 12, you know, like a year and a half later, like Greater You Lord, that song's been out for a while, but it, it's really feels like a song for the church now and more and more people. And we've seen it, like we tag it on a lot of songs for us, but we were just with the house fires on the June tour and they will go from Good Good Father and the Greater You Lord. And it's like the night, it, you just feel the room explode with like energy and, and you just feel the, you know, the impact of that. Yeah. So, and can you talk about Bethel TV? I mean, there are a lot of people out there who maybe not realize what it is. So you guys have a live stream along mm -hmm. with every service. Can you yeah. can you talk about what Bethel TV is and what how you do that, what you do? Yeah, so we do, first and foremost, is live church online. You know, goal with Bethel TV was to bring local church online and, and to do that well. So to have a best online church experience we could have. And we also have about 10 to 12 conferences a year. So we do live stream those as well. And we do some archive of that as, as well too. So on Sunday, you know, we have four services. We stream two of those, a 10.30 and a 6 p.m. service. Then we also do on Friday night service, we'll do that. We capture all of them. So in the archive, we'll put all those. Typically we'll have a long worship set. So our, our worship sets will run about 45 minutes. Then we'll have a teaching. And then on Bethel TV, we have everything archived and categorized. So if you wanted to find a teaching from, you know, Pastor Bill on, you know, any given topic, you can find that. And then if you wanted to tune into like Open Heavens Conference we have coming up in a couple of months, you know, those conferences will sell out pretty quickly. So we offer those, you know, to be available there. Then we also have so people teaching. Can, people can essentially buy a ticket yeah. to view the live stream for so you, like the conferences. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then we call them season passes. So you can buy one for like the whole season of the year. And then you have access to archived, you know, conferences. Where do people buy those if... 
they're interested. Yeah, on Bethel TV. So Bethel.tv. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so you said you're able to kind of measure, you know, what's trending. Are you looking for, you know, songs that are getting commented on or shared? Or are you able to track that kind of stuff as it's happening real time? Or is it kind yeah. of like over a cumulative period of time, it seems like this one has yeah. been the song? It's kind of both. So we have um, real time, you know, social is great for real time. So we'll see, you know, people comment, they'll share. One interesting metric for us is on the live stream, people will do a live capture and then they'll repost on YouTube. So we'll see moments where people are like, oh, wow, I love that, you know, and- How do they do that? Is that they, within the app? Like Not within our app. So they'll literally just like bootleg, you know, grab it off of our live stream and, and you'll find a video on and, YouTube. Yeah. And we'll see like, and some of these videos will, you know, be hundred thousand plus in the matter of, you know, a few weeks. So there's those moments where people are grabbing that. And, you know, for us, it's just like, yeah, it's great exposure. And we can kind of track that as well. And then testimonies is really big for us. So we'll see like, that's one of our favorite parts actually is seeing people be impacted by a song and then share like real life change and where, how God's impacted them with the song. And it could be, you know, for us, we see a lot of, you know, miraculous healings and different, you know, stories of marriage redemption, you know, struggles that have been overcome, which is the exciting part for us actually. Yeah. And do you, do you have a forum for, cause I mean, I'm sure like as songwriters, we get to experience the joy of hearing those stories from people. I mean, do you have a forum for that or how, how do you hear those stories from people? Yeah, we capture those really kind of a pillar of, of who we are. So on Bethel.com, you can find testimonies on Bethelmusic.com. We share testimonies from the road. You know, a lot of times we will capture those via like emails and we have a, I'm totally blanking on the email address, but we have, I think it may be testimonies at Bethel.com where people send those in. So we'll share those through posts. We have a feed on both websites. Then we'll also capture some. So we've had some pretty radical, like just life change stuff that's happened that are kind of really spectacular testimonies. So we'll bring those people in and do a video capture of that. And we share those on our, our site too. Sure. So thinking back over the years of integrity, because when you were doing digital marketing, it was about iTunes. And mm -hmm. I would assume that means trying to get good placements for your artists or churches or whoever you're working with, yeah. literally on the iTunes page. Mm -hmm. How has the digital marketing role changed from 2005 to 2017? Oh, wow. Gosh, <laughs> tons. <laughs> well, there was this thing called MySpace. <laughs> I do remember that. Really you had the top friends. <laughs> yeah. You know, then even Facebook for a while was college only. You had to have a college email address to get access. And my brother-in-law now was dating my sister in college. I was like, dude, I need your email address so I can check this thing out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's come a long ways from there. I think, you know, what you find is there's cycles and seasons to what social media things, the next thing. So, you know, before there was Instagram, there was really, there was nothing like that. So you'll find that, and I think what I've seen like in a macro level of what's changed is really kind of attention and awareness is now is really super vital. So, you know, 10 years ago, you've been in the industry, so 20,000 units to 50,000 units in a street week was amazing. Like that was really good. And some of your really big Christian acts would be maybe 50,000 plus in a street week, you know, release week. Now we're looking at artists and it's like 4 million listens in the street week. So it's your access to a broader audience and their ability to listen, to be inspired, 
to comment and to actually help you curate to their friends where before it was more push out, like here's the marketing message, here's the story, the line that we want to tell, here's the assets. And as the artist or the label, you're constantly kind of push marketing. Now it's more, you're trying to push out more awareness and attract people on social networks. And as a digital marketer, you're trying to trying to attract attention where someone who's inspired and lives it would actually include you in their playlist. They would share you on their feed. And it's more of that now. And you're seeing that can actually move, that can move the scale a lot when you, you know, there's certain playlists that are user generated right now that are, if you're on there, you're going to have, you know, you're going to add 50,000, 100,000 streams of people who have 100,000 people listening to your song. Like that's more than what you can do on a night of a tour. This is more than you would see in a release week. So I feel like the barrier for access has been completely broken down and the power has been put back in the people's hands versus like the labels and the artists being the ones who always controlled the storyline. Now the storyline is everybody's. It's what they share. So I think it's more social than what it was early on. Like before the social part of social networks were really dictated by more of the gateholders and the content creators. Now it's wide open. Yeah. I heard a stat, I think it was on Gary Vee's show, if you listen mm-hmm. to his yeah. stuff at all, but he talked about the amount of content and how it's literally on an astronomical yeah. scale. The amount of content that's been produced in the last 10 minutes is more than all of the previous, you know, 10,000 years of Earth yeah. civilization, yeah. <laughs> essentially, or something to that effect. So totally. how do you stand out? I mean, that's the question yeah. all of us are, are trying to ask as you know, we're music makers and a lot of people are worship leaders and people that want to write songs for the church. There are a lot of people doing that. Mm-hmm. So is it just having great songs? Is it a great marketing strategy? I mean, how, how do you stand out through that wall of content? Yeah. I mean, it's tougher and tougher these days. So it's, I think the days of the superstar stand out or is even harder, you know, in the mainstream world, it's not because there's I mean, I wouldn't say it's not. There's more like superstars that have sustained careers. Like, you know, you look at Coldplay, like they are as popular as they were like three albums ago as they are now. Their audience has gotten a little bit bigger, but they've maintained that level of, you know, of stardom. But all the other artists that are, you know, up and coming, there's like more and more of those. So there's tons of noise to cut through. I think in our world, it's more about, you know, it starts with great music, great song. And then how do you tell story with that and inspire with it. So, and it's always like, we're trying to push the envelope. So I think what you did two years ago, what you even did two months ago is going to be different four months from now or next year. So you're always, I feel like the creative side of that has got to be more and more compelling because there's so much media saturation. So there's no silver bullet, like here's the formula. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it is honestly like looking at the songs and going like we're right now looking at Christine DeMarco's album that you're working on producing plug for Seth plug for Christine <laughs> it's a great record it's an amazing <laughs> record but honestly we sat for two hours with her and the team and we're like we're always trying to push the envelope of how do we story tell so great stories like you know I feel like we are our lives are actually called to great story experience and great storytelling testimonies are that like you look at the Bible, there's a collection of amazing stories that are all, you know, there's some crazy ones and there's some epic ones. So for us, it's like, and I think it's different with each person, right? So like Christine's way to tell her story in these songs and where they came from and her journey with God. And a lot of it was in San Francisco. So we have a whole team in in the Bay area right now, 
capturing some of that and trying to figure out ways to actually make that compelling. And I think these days you're dealing with like short attention spans. So it's like, what is a two to five minute way to do it? And is it a series of those? But I think, you know, it all starts with songs or that, you know, songs come from experience. So it's like, man, I don't want to see another person sit on a couch and do a song story again, because it's like, it's been done 20,000 times. And to capture somebody's attention with that is super hard. So it's like, how do you, as creative as you are with the song, you should be as creative in how you tell that story and how you quote unquote market that story to an audience. So it starts there. And, you know, honestly, it's like the song Good Good Father is top of my mind because these guys are just on tour with us. But I mean, they've been doing that in church for five years in the Atlanta area. And it just takes, you know, some of it's the right timing, right? You know, it's like the song's no less better than it was five years ago, but it was at the right time. And, and that's what kind of broke through the noise with it. I'd love to talk about some specific songs because I know that you've probably had a big part of why people have heard these songs, but just going down the list, No Longer Slaves. Yeah. I mean, that's been one of the biggest songs in the last decade, probably, in the church. Yeah. Justin Bieber tweeted about it. We were just totally. talking about this today. What was the story with that? I mean, how did that one come to be and how yeah. did you guys market it to get to where it's at? You know, some of it for us has been to get albums out and to watch how they do and not catch up with it, but just like actually let them go out and see how people connect with them. That song we we felt was super special from the beginning. It's an interesting journey and story like the Helsers. It's kind of funny because it's a song, they have a, a ministry in Sophia, North Carolina, which is near Greensboro. It's a farm that they do a ministry called 18 Inch Journey. That's for kind of millennials, 18 to 27 year olds, I believe. They've been doing it for years and years and they've been pouring into that group of people. A lot of it's creatives, but it was a song, it was a, the chorus was what they would sing when they would have worship times. So I think there's, I think their farm will hold about 25 to 30. I'm probably botching the numbers, but you imagine that size room. So maybe 40 total with staff, but they would sing that chorus for, you know, years. And it kind of became a thematic chorus within there. And then they started putting words around it in verse as they were signed to Bethel Music. So that chorus had been around for mm -hmm. years. Yeah. So they'd been singing it in wow. there. You know, it was like, it was kind of a, again, they're kind of, they would do spontaneous moments. And that was one that just kept coming up. And it was one of those, you know, proclamations that you just feels great crying out and edifies, you know, some truths from God and your identity. So they were signed right before we did We Will Not Be Shaken on the mountaintop here in Reading. And everybody was coming with songs and that song was actually not quite finished. And it was last minute. The bridge was reworked by Brian and it was like these last little minute tweaks that, you know, the bridge is a super powerful bridge, but that wasn't the original bridge. It was actually finished, you know, minutes before they went on to capture it live. But it was one of those, like, once it was changed, Melissa got up there and just absolutely slays it it's like yeah. super like you know yeah she just split the c in half when she yeah, sang yeah, that yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those like it felt like an epic moment and an epic part of the night and then as we came out of that just share one of the quick little anecdote on the story of the song we were going to radio with with the song and literally was one of those kind of forks in the road we're like well you know it could be a couple of different options on the album the album had been out for about four or five months and ed cash who's another great producer in nashville was super impacted by the song and had a real kind of moment with the lord with it at a real timely season for him and he reached out and was like man this song is and ed 
you know, he's a veteran in this world, general in the producing world. You don't usually get a call from Ed going, hey, man, I'd love to do a radio song for you because yeah. <laughs> he's got plenty of work. Yeah. And Ed reached out to us and I talked to him a little bit about it and he shared his story and experience with it. And he's like, man, if you're ever thinking about it, I'd love to take a shot at it. And it was really timely for us because we were like, yeah, this feels like God's hand is on it. So we did a radio version and from there, just like that. To me, that's what I love about radio is that it is, you know, it's your broadcast airwaves and you're reaching millions of people. And we've just heard testimony after testimony of how that song's really impacted people. So that record had been out. He heard the yeah. song, you cut a radio version of it. Mm -hmm. um, was radio kind of a big part of getting it out on a global scale? It was. I mean, the song has merit for itself, you know, in Bethel Music, you know, we had a pretty good following and a platform to release it with. But I feel like that song was just super empowered by God's, you know, breath on it, honestly. And bringing it to radio was that extra, like, push that was outside of where we could carry it as Bethel Music. It brought it to, you know, a listener who's, you know, you're, they call them Becky's. I'm married to like a Becky. I think she she would listen to, <laughs> yeah. There there it's the mom who's carpooling kids to you know whatever fill in the blank sports event it is, and you know, and she's hearing it on the radio station. And to me, that's when you see the impact that it has on lives. Like that's where it's kind of carried it further for us. Yeah. So were there any specific marketing strategies that you kind of helped to you know pour fuel on the fire once it started to have that spark and start going yeah big part of it for us is to continue to do it live so we, we you know pretty intentional with the way we do our bethel music worship night so that became part of the night a set list for us and marketing it wise we did a lot of storytelling with it as well as make sure it was resourced really well so we have resource channel partners that you know like praise charts you go down the list of you know multi-tracks all these guys making sure that they're aware of the song and the impact that it's having and doing some channel marketing with those guys to get the song a little bit further out to worship leaders. And for us, like the live experience is always big. So one of the beautiful things about our community is we can, anybody can carry the song. So from a Sunday morning, you know, on a stream to like a live worship event, you could hear Jeremy Riddle sing the song. I think I've heard everybody in our world sing that song and it's all, they all do amazing jobs at it. So and that's kind of like, I think that's where we kind of kept putting fuel onto that, you know, that momentum and that fire that was coming out of it. Sure. I'd also love to hear, this is Amazing Grace, because a lot of people maybe don't even realize that kind of yeah. came out of your world. A yeah. lot of people know it as a Phil Wickham single, because mm -hmm. that's probably the most commonly heard version. But that was a Bethel song for a while, right? Yeah. I think we released it before Phil, actually because just the timing wise, but yeah, Phil's a friend in the ministry, you know, in our worlds, many times we you know, will have song starts or song ideas and uh, it came in, you know, through relationship with him and Jeremy took the song and it's an interesting journey with the song. It's like, I think all these songs have their own little funny little stories, but Jeremy sat on the song for a while, kind of just on the creative cave with it, you know, just doing, you know, it was a bit of a long distance kind of collab with Phil who was touring at the time. When it got there, we were like, wow, this feels really good. So it made our Tides album first. And we, again, we can kind of feel the temperature when we start leading on Sunday. So a lot of times it starts there and you're like, oh, wow, this one really connected. Or you can just feel the spirit move at certain times. So that's where it started. And then we did it on the album. It kind of, as it started gaining momentum, Phil did. And then, you know, went to radio, which I think radio is another, you know, integral part of that story. So, and I mean, to date, you're, 
still putting a lot of energy into radio. That seems to be yeah. a big part of the strategy still. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We really believe in it. You know, we feel like it's twofold for us. One is the ministry opportunity just to carry the, to again, export out what we do here and our prayers that the songs would minister to people. And the second is to export to the global church. And we feel like that's a place where worship leaders are still kind of getting to temperature what songs are. And there's a lot of vertical now, as you notice, like there's a lot of worshipful songs that are being sung and recorded by artists that were typical radio artists where it's not as vertical as a worship song. So that's becoming more of more of a trend, which I love. I think it's great. So for us, you know, it's another opportunity to export well and to minister. And we were just with our friends at K-Love. I was there about a couple of months ago meeting with some of the leaders there. And they're the largest network of radio broadcasters in the U.S. And they have a tremendous reach, but they also have like, I think, 20 plus pastors that come in and rotate and they take, so a lot of theirs is broadcast satellite. So they don't have an actual footprint in some markets, but they have pastors that will take calls from markets that there's people that are suicidal. They have real, you know, struggles and needs. And these pastors are ministering to people and then plugging them in a local church. So there's a really big, like Caleb's the biggest network of those, but they're also like, they have the biggest heart to minister and to see people, you know, be pastored and plugged into local church, which is, I love that. As we're wrapping up, we always like to ask similar question to all of our guests on Full Circle Music Show. And that's after having been in the business for how many years has it been now? In the Christian space since 2006. Yeah. So, so over, over a decade of experience. <laughs> what is the one big thing that looking back, you wish you would have known before kind of getting into it? Or has there been a thing that you've maybe learned the hard way? Mm -hmm. Anything that stands out in your mind? Wow. That's a great question. <laughs> I should have known before I got into it. <laughs> Gosh, man, I think, you know, my career path has been pretty varied. So Integrity Music was about seven years. And then I went independent and started working with Bethel Music right at the beginning of that phase and more as a consultant, you know, contractor base and that moved into more full-time and leadership role. I think the one thing, and this is kind of basic, I mean, it's like, I think I knew this going into it, but I wasn't as aware of it. I, I would feel like it's really, and it's, I think it's kind of biblical, actually. The relationships matter. Like, you know, pouring into relationships, whether it's from an artist level and that relationship with a label or relationship with a team. I've been blessed to have multiple team environments. So even at Integrity, I had a couple different hats, you know, again, the hair is gone. So multiple <laughs> hats. But I think when you have different teams and areas of responsibility, relationships, super important on an individual basis, on a team leading kind of base, and then an interdepartment or outside relationship. And I, I feel like there's more and more of a spirit of collaboration that's happening now. And, you know, 10 years ago, there was some pretty distinct like territorial spots. So like Integrity Music and all the major labels, I feel like then you may know, and you may comment on this, but <laughs> it feels like, you know, a decade ago, it was not territorial in the way of like ill will, but it was more in the way of like, this is our area. And, and it wasn't much of a spirit of collaboration. And I feel like that's changed, which is great. I wish that, you know, in the very beginning, I would have probably focused more on relationship and making sure that those are key and 
you're developing and you're growing in those. And I think when you do that in community, which I love about Bethel Music is we're all about community and relationship and more family focus than you are for people. And you want to see the best come out and you want to, you know, champion other people. So I think if you focus on that now, yeah, the more that you do that, the better that you're, that you can be used and, you know, the more fulfillment I think you get out of it too. Does that make sense? It yeah. makes total sense. That's a great answer. Last question, because a lot of our audience is influencers, leaders, maybe worship leaders, pastors, people that work as artists, they're influencers. So you've had a lot of experience leading teams. Yeah. Can you give a tip that comes to mind on, you know, something for the influencers out there who are leading teams? Yeah. Wow. A lot of tips. <laughs> you know, a couple of things I would say. One, never stop learning. I think as leaders, potentially you can get into a place where you feel comfortable and you feel like you maybe don't need to learn more. And you probably know this. I mean, you, I think you reflect this well in your world. Like there's always room to grow and learn. And as you continue to learn, you can lead better, I feel like. And then with teams, you know, I think you raise up great leaders. So I think you always look at strengths and weaknesses can be opportunities, but you always should try to raise up leaders and don't be intimidated or insecure with being not the best person in the room. I think great leaders are surround themselves with people that are better at certain areas or maybe, you know, in certain crafts or are better in general. And I think as you do that, you know, you can equip them and raise them up. So when you lead teams like that, I think as a book I've just read recently, and I've actually passed on to one of my team members on a, on a new team that I'm leading here, is a book called Extreme Ownership. And it's written by two Navy SEAL guys. And their philosophy and leadership is that you're a team and you're always like operating as a team as for the success of the team. And you're always pouring in to raise up those leaders. So super important. I think, you know, it's different with each team though. So people are different. So I think you do it on a macro level as a team and on a micro level individually, you have to look at how are you playing on strengths? How are you overcoming obstacles? And how are you, you know, making weaknesses, uh, you know, stronger and helping people grow in that. That's awesome. Well, uh, this has been incredible. Thank you for taking yeah. the time to share with our audience and with me. I feel like Full Circle Music Show for me is a great learning experience. So thank you Thanks, for man. taking the time to sit down with me. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. This has been our part one of our music marketing series. We've got three more exciting parts. This is the month where it's all about marketing music. We're all doing this because we love music, but we're also thinking about how can we make it our career? A lot of us, it is our career already, and a lot of us, we want it to be that. And to understand how to make that happen, you have to understand marketing. Now, marketing, I used to think was kind of a slimy word, but really all it is is just relationship. It's just one-on-one, -on -one. it's person-to-person, -person, just you sharing something with somebody else. And then ultimately, figuring out how long-term is best to monetize your work. So this series is super exciting. Stick around for next week. We've got another great episode. We'll be diving into some things like email marketing. We're going to be talking about YouTube and the power of how you can make that work for you. And then we're also going to be talking about in the conclusion of this series, an exciting platform that we use every day in Full Circle Music 
to run our businesses, to help build the Full Circle Music Academy. And it's something that you're not going to want to miss. And that's the fourth part of this music marketing series. So stick around for that. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a good rating and good review, and share it with a friend. We'll see you here next week on the second part of the music marketing series.